Hallelujah. We're going to dismiss the kids and teachers and let them go at this time. And while they're going, let's just check us out if we got a praise within us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. You are great and mighty, exalted and magnified in this house. We declare there's none like you, God. There is none other that we desire to serve, none other that we want to follow. You have our heart. You have our life. You have our being. You have us, Lord, completely. Use us and do to us your great desire. For that, we give you the praise and the thanks. We are glad, Father, to be in the house of the Lord today. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I commit to dwell in it forever, that I may be fruitful in old age. We thank you for the word of God today, that it is abundant in this house, changing and transforming us, making us the men and women of God you called us to be. And Father, we thank you that today in this house, we receive a revelation of your heart toward us. Your heart toward us. Your heart toward us. That your love never fails. And for that, we give you the praise and we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God is good, amen. For the last several weeks, Pastor Jerry has been ministering on fighting the good fight of faith. And last week, he mentioned something, and he said that we needed to be talking our covenant. Do you all remember that? When he said we have to talk our covenant, talk our contract is what he called it, talk our covenant. And when he said that, I just had this knowing in my heart that we need to understand what our covenant looks like what our covenant with God looks like. And so um, in the word of God, one of the things that reaffirms the covenant that God has with humanity is the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. And so today we're going to partake of the communion. And when we get close to it, if you don't have any, we'll make sure we get the elements to you. But I want to open up the word today, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it says this. This is, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church and telling them how they came to be at this. And he says this. He says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Okay, so he said, I got this from God, and now I'm giving this to you. I got this from the Lord, and I'm giving it to you. How many of you know... The Apostle Paul was not present when the administration of the Lord's Supper was given. But he got it from the Lord. So that tells us that the Lord's table or communion, as we call it, is something that is passed down from people to people and was not exclusively for that time. Okay? It's been passed on. And he says, I received this from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. So we know when this happened. This whole convening of this Lord's table started on the night he was betrayed. 
So with that being said, let's go back to Luke 22 on the night that Jesus was betrayed and see what happened. Luke 22, and we're going to begin. We've got lots of scriptures we're going to go through, and I might seem like I'm talking too fast, but I learned that from Pastor Jerry. Okay? Sometimes we have to put each other on pause, <laughs> rewind, play that again in lower speed. Right? All right. So it says in verse 14 of Luke 22, when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He says with fervent desire, with fervent desire, I want to eat this. Now, when we think of the word desire, you know, you have a craving, a longing, a wanting. That's what desire is. But when they, they put the word fervent on it, because this desire isn't like just a desire, like I want chocolate cake today or apple pie or a steak even, okay? It's not that kind of desire. This fervent desire means this. It's something the heart has been put upon. So that means it wasn't just a casual, I want something. It was more like the heart of Jesus was fully excited, enthusiastic, and been wanting for this moment in time. It wasn't just, oh, we're going to have a Passover. Yay, yay, yay. Jesus had done other Passovers because the Passover was observed every year. But there was something about this particular Passover, this meal that was going to set it apart from all other Passovers that he'd ever had. And he said, this one is the one that my heart has been wanting. This one is the one that I have been earnestly excited to have with you. This one. It wasn't an ordinary feast day even though the feast days were considered high days. This was something supernatural. This was something extraordinary. Something was going to happen at this Passover meal that has never happened before, and Jesus was the catalyst for it. There was something that was supposed to be so great in this that his whole heart was set on this particular meal. Okay? And we see here that with his heart set upon it, now let's go through and see what actually occurred in this meal. It says, he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Okay, so we know that this is the season of the Passover. So, 
you, you can find out what Passover is way back in Exodus chapter 12. And what the Passover was, um, remember the children of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. They're stuck in Egypt. And they've been there for 400 and so some years. And they're stuck in Egypt. And they've had all these plagues come, but they're still stuck in Egypt. And the Spirit of the Lord then begins to talk to Moses and explain to him how they're going to come out. So this Passover, we can, you can go back there in Exodus 12 if you'd like. I want to pull just a few things out of Exodus 12 about this Passover meal and when it was instituted originally. And in this Passover meal then, what they were, what they were uh, commissioned to do is they were going to take a lamb. They were going to keep this lamb, which had to be unblemished without any, any weakness any infirmity, they were going to take this lamb and they were going to kill this lamb as a sacrifice. And then the next thing they had to do is take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorpost of the house where they were staying, where they were sitting and eating. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard this story. So they put the blood over the doorpost of the house where they were at, and when they put the blood on the doorposts of the house, when the judgments of God came through the area, then when the blood was seen, judgment passed by and never stopped there. In fact, um, there's a few things that I want to bring out specifically about this Passover. He said, when you eat this Passover, you eat it, with a belt on your waist, sandals on your feet, and a staff in your hand. He said, when you eat this Passover, eat it with your belt on, your shoes on, and your staff ready to go. And he even said, eat it in haste. Why is that? Why did he tell them, when you eat it, eat it with all these other elements? Well, you know, when I eat dinner, sometimes I have shoes on, sometimes I have a belt on, but usually I'm not holding a walking stick, right? But he tells them, you're going to have to do all this. And that was to mark their minds, mark their hearts, you're leaving this place. You're leaving this place. You're leaving this bondage. You're leaving this slavery. You're getting out of here. Hallelujah. Now remember, Jesus has fervent desire to eat this particular Passover with them with the intention, your slavery's about over. You're about to leave this place you're in right now. Are you ready to go? All right? The other thing was that sometimes we forget that the Passover... Um, the reason they needed the Passover is because God said, I'm coming down to execute judgment on the gods of Egypt. On the gods of Egypt. Now, we know Egypt is a type of the world. We know Egypt is a type of the world. Now, think of that. He is ready to execute judgment on the gods of the world that are enslaving, that are trapping, that are putting you in bondage. 
whether it's the gods of sickness and disease, the gods of poverty and lack, the gods of mental torment and anguish, whatever God it is, he said, the Passover meal, I will come through and I will execute judgment on all those things that are enslaving my people and the judgments will pass them by and they'll walk out with haste, free from all those gods. That's what's supposed to happen at the Passover meal time. That's what was going to happen at the Passover meal time. So, and, um, so let's go back then, back to Luke 22. Now understand what Jesus is saying. With earnestness, I want to eat this with you. I want to eat this with you. And we see he takes the cup, which is a cup that had always been reserved, turned upside down, waiting for the Messiah to come. And he takes bread, and it was bread that was folded in a napkin that was reserved for when the Messiah would come. They've been observing this for hundreds of years with the cup untouched, with the bread untouched. Hundreds of years this had gone on. And Jesus comes, and on this particular Passover, he picks up that particular cup, and he pulls out that particular piece of bread. He picks it up. He's telling them, your weight from freedom of slavery is over. I'm here. I'm here. But they knew that only the Messiah was supposed to touch that cup. And there was enough fear of God in that situation, no one dared touched it up to that point. They knew it. But he picks that cup, he takes out that bread, and he begins to talk to them about the cup and about the bread. And if we look down in verse 20, he says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Well, a new covenant. If you have something new, probably you have something old. And these people had an old covenant with God. And you can see that covenant back in Genesis chapter 15 when um, God came down and cut a covenant with Abraham. His name was actually Abram at the time. And what happened is Abram was a moon worshiper. He was a moon worshiper, and God has pulled him out to make a family for himself through Abram's, Abram's lineage. Let's go back to the garden for a minute. Back in the Garden of Eden, there was no separation between God and man. Adam and Eve could walk with God. There was no separation there. But then Adam sins and a separation occurs, meaning they are not able to commune like they once were. They were not able to connect like they once were. God couldn't touch him or he died because he became uh, defiled. The glory is gone off of Adam. So there is a separation between God and man. 
Then what we have is God makes a promise to the devil. He makes a promise to the devil. And he said, there's going to be enmity between you and the woman. Meaning anybody that comes through a woman in the earth, in case you didn't know, everybody that's here today came through a woman sometime or another, right? <laughs> Did we know this? Help me out. Yes, okay. If you got birth without a woman, I'd like to know about that. Of course, they try things in laboratories. I don't know how successful they are. Anyway. Anyway, so he says there is going to be a war between everybody born of a woman and you, devil. There's enmity between the woman, between her seed and your seed. Remember that verse? Do we need to go look at it? Or you, can, you got it? Okay. And so what, what he was saying is there is going to be a particular seed come through a woman and he's going to crush your head, devil. He's going to bruise his heel on your head. And it's going to happen. Well, now, if God was talking to you and saying, someday somebody's going to hurt their foot on your head, you'd be wondering, I wonder who it is. How long do I have? How long is it going to take? When's it going to happen? Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? And we see the enemy then launch this attack to kill babies. Launch that attack to kill babies. I want you to know the, the devil's still doing that tactic. Wake up, think. He still is looking for a way to kill babies. Amen? Hallelujah. And so what happens then, he's looking for a family is what God does. He goes looking for a family that he can bring the seed of that woman through that's going to crush the head of the enemy. He goes looking for a family, somebody that he can bring it through, some way he can bring it through, uh, a family, a nation, a lineage that he can bring that seed through. And we see then what happens is he selects a man named Abram. And it tells us the reason he selected Abram is because he would teach his kids about this. He would teach his kids about this. That is not a tough criteria, but I'm finding out to find a man that is vowed to teach his kids what God has taught him is, is sometimes short. Sometimes there's a shortage of that, okay? But that's what made Abram chosen by God is because he would pass it on, okay? So he, so he has Abram. But Abram is kind of all over the place a little bit because he's a moon worshiper. He's into that. What do they call that? Astro something. Astrology? Thank you. Astronomy, astrology, one of the astros, okay? Anyway, isn't astro the name of the Jetsons dog? Okay. All right. Anyway. Praise the Lord. He wasn't into the dog. All right. So he's into this. So God is thinking. 
how am I going to anchor this man? How am I going to anchor this man to think like I need him to think, to think like I want him to think so that he is qualified for me to have a seed come through his family that will do the damage to the enemy so I can have my family back. That's what he's thinking. So he calls Abram and he says, okay, this is what I'm going to do, Abram. I'm going to cut a covenant with you, a covenant with you. And he tells Abram, you can look this up in Genesis 15. He said, give me a heifer, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Five animals, he says. Get these five animals for me. And he says, take those animals, not the birds, but take the other three animals and cut them in half and lay the halves opposite each other. Okay, now, I grew up on a farm, and we used to slaughter our own animals. It's a bloody mess. It is a very bloody mess. And they probably didn't have electric knives, you understand what I'm saying, <laughs> to make it quick and clean. You know what I mean? So they take these, these, these blood elements, these, these, these halves of these animals, and he lays them apart, and blood fills this whole walkway. Remember, God's looking for a way to anchor Adam's th uh, Abram's thinking, looking for a way to sear his thinking. And he lays these blood parts apart. And Abram knows what blood covenant looks like. Blood covenant looks like you take a walk together through these pieces and then we are covenanted together. We are connected together. That, he knows what that looks like. But after Abram gets all these pieces cut and they're laid there and the blood is there, a deep sleep falls on Abram. A deep, deep sleep falls on him. But he sees that there is God walking himself through the midst of this blood. He sees the Almighty has come down and cut in a covenant with me. And what happens is it arrests his thinking, gets a hold of his mind. God has never done this with another man ever on the planet. God is walking through the blood for me. See, God didn't even ask Abram to walk the blood because God wanted Abram to know this covenant responsibility is on me. It's not on you. The responsibility of fulfilling the covenant of what I've said is going to happen in your life is on me. It's not on you. See, because in this covenant, God didn't give Abram something to do. In this covenant, God gave Abram someone to believe. Not something to do, someone to believe. So Abram's mind then becomes throttled in from every other thing that's outside. And now it's connected to the promises that God has given him. That in you all nations of the earth will be blessed. 
In you, your seed will be blessed. In you, you will be a father of a great multitude. In you, all this is going to happen. And Abram's mind is getting transformed by the awareness of this covenant God's making with him. It's getting changed. You know, it's getting changed out of being a moon worshiper to becoming a God worshiper. His mind is being impacted by what God is doing at this moment. Hallelujah. And so God has found now someone, a family, that he can bring his seed through to destroy the power of the devil. He's found a family. Then we see a couple things God does. The first thing he does is he gives him a new name. His name was Abram, and it's changed to Abraham. Interesting enough, the, um, the letter that represents the name of God in the Hebrew language is similar to our H. So now what God did is he took Abram and gave him a new name, Abraham, with himself in his name is what happened. God took Abram's name and put himself in it and called him Abraham. And if you even look at Sarah's name, Sarai became Sarah with the H. God put himself in their names that every time from that moment on, they had a new name to work with. They had a new name that they were under. No longer is it Abram and Sarai. Now it's Abraham and Sarah. New names. God had given them new names. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, and then we see another thing he gives Abraham. He's, he gives him a sign. And he tells them, everybody that comes from you, if they become circumcised, they will be recipients of everything I've spoken to you. And the Lord said, just like the blood over the, uh, over the doorpost, here's the sign I need. Everybody circumcised will be a recipient of the same covenant I'm cutting with you. Incidentally, that covenant at that time, one of the things, there's many things, but one of the things that was established in that covenant is the land that would belong to Abraham's family. And that is still an active covenant today. It's called the nation of Israel, and it gets fought over more than anything else on the planet. This few acres is always a point of contention in the world. But the reason it is, is because the enemy was there when the covenant was cut between Abraham and God about that land. And the devil is going to fight all the time against the covenant. He always persists against the covenants. All right? So we see here then there becomes an awareness of this covenant. We had an animal sacrifice. We had blood. We had a name change. We have circumcision. We have all this going on. But nevertheless, there was a covenant cut with Abram and all his family for continuing generations. 
And we see that they knew this. You know, you look at the life of David. And remember when Goliath stood up against the children of Israel? When David was going out after him? David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What he was saying is, why is this one that is not in covenant a threat to you? Why is it even a threat? He is an uncircumcised Philistine. He is not of the Abrahamic covenant. He is not of the covenant that the people of God have in the earth. So why is he even a threat? Why is it a threat? Then if you go down to verse 45 of 1 Samuel 17, David says to them, you come at me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. What he's saying is, you're coming at me with natural tools. I'm coming at you with a covenant. And everything that that covenant represents, everything that covenant maker has, that's what I'm coming at you with. I'm not coming at you with swords and spears. I'm coming at you with a name. I'm coming at you with an army. I'm coming at you because of what you have opposed the circumcised ones with. He was coming at the giant with a covenant. Hallelujah. We see that it was so valuable to David. He understood covenant. In fact, he cuts a covenant with his best friend, Jonathan. He cuts a covenant with his best friend, Jonathan. Jonathan and Saul, all of the army is dead and gone, and David is king, and he said, is there somebody that I can show kindness to the house of Saul? Well, Saul's the one that wanted to kill you. But he said, for Jonathan's sake, because of the covenant I had with Jonathan, I want to find somebody that I can lavish blessing and pour goodness onto. And he finds Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who is lame in his feet. And he brings him in and gives him everything that would have been Jonathan's in the kingdom. Let's him eat at his table because covenant in showers with blessing. Covenant covers every weakness. Covenant protects. Covenant secures. Covenant does this. It was somebody to believe in. All right? So we move on down now, and we realize that what Jesus is saying is there's a new covenant. Remember that? This cup is the new covenant. It's not just the Abrahamic covenant. In fact, the word tells us that he is mediator of a new covenant established on new promises. A new covenant. A new covenant. He's got a new covenant established on better promises. So what that tells me is this. God was looking for a family to bring the Messiah through. So he cuts a covenant with Abraham. But then God is looking 
for a perfect man on the earth to cut a covenant with. And how many of you know, you and I didn't qualify. Abraham didn't qualify. David didn't qualify. Moses didn't qualify. Noah didn't qualify for this covenant that was going to completely forever remove humanity's slavery. A covenant that was forever going to shift humanity out of bondage into glorious liberty. That was going to take them out of pain, grief, sickness, disease, heartache, struggle. He was looking for someone that was perfect enough to represent man. The only thing that would work is if God would send himself to cut a covenant with himself. That's the only thing that was going to work. It was the only way he was going to get a perfect mediator, a perfect representative of a covenant between God and man. So he sends Jesus. And Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. Why is it? Because he wanted us to know that he's on the man's side of the covenant. He's on the man's side of the covenant, not the God's side when we're cutting covenant. He's on the man's side of this covenant. So what happens then is Jesus begins to give his body to be broken just like the heifer, the goat, and the ram for blood to flow that he and the Father God could cut a covenant so that mankind could forever be free from slavery because we have a perfect representative before the Father where the Father is again taking responsibility for all the bondage to be removed in humanity's way. Are you getting this? Hallelujah. He's looking for a way to cut a covenant with people that people are no longer under anything the enemy wants to do. And so what he finds is he has Jesus. He has Jesus. Hallelujah. And remember this part, when we accept Jesus, when we take on Jesus, then we take on the man's side of the covenant that has been cut with God and we are forever walking in a covenant of liberty as if man hadn't sinned because the man Jesus took away the sin and it was a part of the deal of the covenant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you think about these things we've gone through. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, when we accept Christ, all things become new. Old things pass away. Why is it? Because now I'm in a covenant. Now I've got a covenant with God. Now I'm brand new. Hallelujah. Now I've got something new going on in my life. Hallelujah. The old things are done away with, completely stripped off of. 
Okay? Let's think about this one. Okay? Um, think about this. Uh, I, didn't, I don't think I gave you all these scriptures, so I don't know. Where, I don't even know where I'm at in my notes. Would somebody like to find out for me? <laughs> Just checking. Hallelujah. So the, the, another thing. He has given us the name above every other name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Now we know that Abram got a new name, but did you know you got a new name? Now you've got the name Jesus. And think about it. At the, when Peter and John, after Jesus is ascended, they go to the temple gate and the guy says, hey, you know, help me. He's a begging at the temple. And they said, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we'll give you. In the name of Jesus, they use their covenant. The name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And they asked him later about it and they said, no, it's not something we did. It was that name and faith in that name. Faith in that covenant name. Faith in that covenant name that got him up to walk. Hallelujah. He's given us a name. Romans 8, 16 and 17 clarifies. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are on the man's side of the covenant with Jesus. See, what happens when we get covenant minded? We realize the struggle and the war in life. It's not about getting connected to God. It's instead keeping ourselves covenant-minded. There is no opposition between you and God once you make Jesus the Lord of your life. There is nothing to separate you from God. But what there is is enticement, traps, and threats of the enemy that cause us to stray from covenant so we miss all the benefit the covenant has guaranteed for us. That's where the struggle is. Hallelujah. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 tells us another big thing about the covenant. That he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. In whom we have redemption through what? The covenant blood. The covenant blood is the forgiveness of sins. God wants us to grow in understanding and revelation of what this covenant was when he let his body be poured out, when he laid his body down, and when we became joint heirs with him in this covenant. See, man sinned. God wanted to restore him. Man was enslaved. God wanted him to free him. Man was burdened. God wanted to bear that for him. Man was frail. God was strong. And only a covenant could change the status of where humanity was. Only covenant could change where we were. Only covenant could bring us into a higher and better place. And God himself came to cut that covenant. Hallelujah. He even tells us in Romans 2, in verse 28... He says there is a circumcision. Remember the sign of the covenant was a circumcision. But he says it's not outwardly, it's not in the flesh anymore, but now it's circumcision of the heart. My heart has been circumcised for God. 
Now my heart has been circumcised for God. Now my heart marks me. When the, when the enemy looks at me in the realm of the spirit, when God looks at me in the realm of the spirit, when I look through spiritual eyes at everyone else, they see circumcision across my heart and they know I'm a part of a covenant between God and man and Jesus represents me and I am free from every device and destruction of the enemy. I'm a covenant person. Amen. I am in covenant with God. Hallelujah. And this is not about what I have to do. This is about who I'm going to believe. And this word, this Bible is a new covenant. And it is entirely filled with covenant promise. Because you've accepted Jesus, the Lord of your life, this will happen for you. Because you have Jesus, this will happen for you. Psalms 89 tells us this. God says, my covenant, I will not break. God never breaks the covenant. We stray, but God never breaks it. That's why when you repent, it's that fast you're back in that place. Because he's never broken that covenant. There was a body poured out. There was blood poured out. Hallelujah. Interesting enough, this bread that Jesus pulls out is striped. It's striped bread from the fire. Hallelujah. It's striped bread. We need to understand this. Jesus didn't come here and the things of the world not pressure him. The word tells us he was in all points tempted as we are. So the same obstacles to the covenant that you have to war against, Jesus warred against, but he won. Everything, everything that weighs, torments, pressures, beats on, comes against you, Jesus went through it too. And then, because we, we see it was a striped with that fire, and we see that he was scourged, whipped, whipped. Don't be crying about your problem when the Messiah has been whipped on your behalf. Come on, people. Let's think about this. We have a covenant representative that took everything that could be heavy, hard, and weighty in your life, and he willingly took it. He willingly took it on his back. And he said, I'll allow my body to be broken so yours never has to. I'll allow it. I'll allow every sin that anybody from all ages would ever have, I'll allow it to be placed on me. The iniquity is said of us all. Every shortcoming, every sin, every mistake, every wrongdoing, every accusation, every criticism, every evil, every addiction, every matter of the demonic realm, all of it was heaped on Jesus, our covenant representative. And he perfectly bore it. He perfectly bore it. Um, it's interesting. Let's go over to, um, um, we'll wind this down. First Peter 2, 21. And we're looking at what happened in his body. It says, for to this you were, also, you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Why? 
because he's the man in the covenant. Okay? Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, meaning a connection with God, by whose stripes you were healed. All of it was put on him. All of it was put on him. And then we know about the blood, that all things are purified by blood. Hallelujah. Remember when they pierced Jesus' side and the blood flows out? And it talks about in Hebrews 9, the blood of bulls and goats isn't able to change your conscience, but the blood of Jesus. When you come into the understanding and the revelation of the covenant with God, no devil in hell can separate from me from God. No devil in hell has right on my body. No devil in hell has authority over me. No devil in hell has any of that. Don't ever confuse that maybe this part I deserve. Don't ever do that. Maybe this good thing I don't deserve. Or maybe this infirmity I do deserve because of what I've done. You're not thinking covenant. You're not thinking covenant. You're not recalling, no, he bore it all. You're, you're going back into the ministry of works instead of the new covenant that he has got for you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, head over to vimeo.com forward slash WOVictory or go to Jerry Roberts Ministry on Roku. For more information about who we are and what we do here at Order Victory, check out the website at wovictory.org. That's wovictory.org. See you there.